listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to episode number 31 of the Taming Hindrances podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's topic of discussion is sequitur, or the word I'm going to talk about is sequitur, because I think I've gotten to a point in this podcast that it could go a couple different ways. One, we can just call it a day. We can just, we can wrap it up, call it a day, move on. We could take it to a, you know, a, a more... I, I don't I don't even know, a more lengthier approach of, you know, deep diving into things even more, but doing it, you know, less often, maybe a monthly release compared to a weekly release. Uh, we could call this a season and maybe, you know, come back again later, but that's all kind of up in the air. I'm still making that decision. Essentially, though, I've gotten to the point with this podcast, the whole thing has been very cathartic for me. We've talked about self-awareness. We've talked about mental health. We've, we've gone over all those different things. And it brings us to a point where we need to talk about the word sequitur. Because sequitur isn't necessarily an end, but it's not necessarily a continuation either. It's a possibility of a new beginning. It's all of these things. So to keep things in line with how I've done them throughout this entire show um, from start to finish here. From Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, a sequitur is the conclusion of an inference. Well, conclusion is a, a finality. Um, it's, you know, to bring all of the different things together and come up with a conclusion thereof. An inference is something that's inferred, and to infer something is to derive as a conclusion from facts or premises. So I want to, in this case, infer essentially, you know, through a sequitur here, which is a conclusion of an inference, to the conclusion of the derivation from facts or premises, the conclusion thereof, of all the different things we talked about from episode one till now. I talked about myself in episode one. I, I gave my background and my sordid past and broken home and all of these different things that made me go seek out answers to my mental health issues. But greater than that, to seek out what self-awareness actually was. And I've done that through martial arts. I've done that through uh, different acts of work. Um, I've done that in serving the community as a massage therapist. I've done that in just talking to people as a bouncer or as a bartender, bar back, working in the restaurant industries, meeting different people. We all have different interactions because we come at it from different backgrounds. And I've mentioned before how I find depression to be the way in which you see the world and that depression itself is uniquely who you are. And there is no way to understand someone else's depression. 
that is impossible. In fact, relationships of individuals with other individuals or even with other conscious things or entities or ideas are simply the ways in which we go about trying to understand someone else's depression. We may never get there, but the act of doing so may be the purest definition of love there could be. It's to so hardly try or, or so fully try to understand this other person's depression, knowing there's no way to do it. That I would define as unconditional love, I think. I think that would be a, a sequitur, a conclusion I could come to with everything I've talked about, is that unconditional love is trying to understand someone else's depression, knowing you have no chance of doing so. You will never completely understand it. You will never completely be able to know how that person sees the world because that's their depression. Mind you that I took depression in episode number 15 and I broke it out and you know I looked at where the word depression came from. And the word depression comes from to depress, which is an old astrological term talking about the side real bodies. Side real bodies are anybody outside of the earth. So the moon's a side real body, the sun, the planets, even a satellite would be considered a side real body. And by that definition to depress a side real body is when the body outside, again, a side real body, a body outside of the earth goes below the horizon line. You can watch it go below the horizon line. That's to depress it. So depression, which was coerced in from the ideas of melancholy, uh, which is actually a disease from ancient times, not really ancient times. We still kind of, you know, understand it today, but it was a term for an old disease. We've coerced that into what we know as depression today, which has this connotation of negativity. And throughout this entire experience, I've done everything I can to take connotation out of the equation because I think that's where we need to be. If we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about self-awareness and we're going to talk about anything, in which two parties or multiple parties can't come together, the state of which we know warfare, because that's what humans do. I talked about that in episode 20 in the humanity episode about humans have invented war. It's what we do. We are a warring being. In order to come away from that and not act upon our warring nature, we need to eliminate connotation because connotation is the development of the definition of war. The definition of war is when one or multiple parties cannot agree at all. Essentially, they have so ingrained beliefs that they can never reconcile. There's no reconciliation of their belief structures. That's known as war. And we're being in war our entire lives, and we will continue to be in war as we act so. To eliminate that possibility, we have to start to eliminate connotations. And it's not that there's anything wrong with connotations themselves. Connotations give us understandings. The problem is connotations come from our backgrounds. And our backgrounds have a lot to do with our depressions. And we can't understand someone else's depression. And we must stop saying, I, I understand. I get it. I know what you're feeling. You don't. It's okay to use as a colloquial term, I feel like, yeah, man, I get it. I get it. You know, I, I can, I can sort of understand, but it needs to come with that conclusion that 
hey man, like I know what misery feels like. I know what sadness feels like. I know what all these different things feel like. And I get that I can see the sympathy. That's the difference of sympathy, empathy, and, you know, just guessing is, hey, I can feel you got some stuff going on. I, I can feel that. That's empathy. Sympathy is the understanding of I can sympathize. So if I have empathy, then I can put myself in that place. I can't fully understand and I won't get all the way, but I can get a little bit of the way. And then we, maybe we can have a discussion about it. And that's where I talk about eliminating the connotation. And we have to do that if we're going to take ourselves out of a warring state. Because once we eliminate the connotation, connotation, we can then talk openly and have real discussions without having our depressions and our belief structures and all of these different understandings that we have that I talked about in the first couple episodes of this podcast get in the way of all that. Specifically, when I talked about education, belief, languages, you know, those types of things, uh, episodes two, three, and four, everyone has a different educational background. Everyone's been educated differently or not educated on one subject or another. And in that case, I talked about how ignorance is not a negative. It's okay to be ignorant. Totally okay to be, to be ignorant. And typically someone is ignorant because they don't know. They haven't been told, they haven't been taught, they haven't been showed. And that's fine. Totally okay to be ignorant. It's not okay to be willfully ignorant, to have been shown, have been taught, and then act unaccordingly, to not even bring it into the discussion, not even have it as part of it, just to ignore it. That's willful ignorance. And willful ignorance, I believe, in my personal opinion, is part of the root of all evil. It's, it's where evil deeds come from. To know something and then act completely like you didn't. That's willful ignorance. It's all corruption and all, all of these things we talk about that are ruining today's society. That's willful ignorance. It's not that these people don't know, it's that they choose to not Pay any attention. That's willful ignorance. They choose to act accordingly with the information. They continue to do the wrong things. They do not have a good, strong, moral, or ethical background. That's just my personal opinion. Do what you want with it. That's why this is a sequitur. This is a, a, an inference of the conclusions that I've come to. And throughout all of this, I've always tried to make someone think more. Because that's all this is really about. I break down think as an acronym, taming hindrances and neural kinetics, kinetics being the, you know, action between two things, neural being our, our brain, our, our neural neuropathies, neural pathways, basal ganglias, the two hemispheres, the, you know, thalamus, hippocampus, all of the different things that make up our mind and our nervous system and all these different things, the, all of it. So the interconnections between those, the interactions between those, kinetic, neural kinetics, and then taming hindrances, to tame a hindrance. A hindrance is something that blocks us. Anything that is, anything that is in our way is a hindrance. Anything that slows us down, it gets in our way, those types of things, those are hindrances. Some call them challenges. So we need to tame those. So I call that thinking, taming hindrances and neural kinetics. 
So after I talked about these different things, how we can have different educations, belief, the language, those types, those kind of, the, taking the connotation out eliminates the mistrust of language because everyone surrounds themselves with different language. Everyone comes from a different language background. And just because you're scared of Arabic or you're scared of Chinese or you're scared of, or you have some sort of xenophobia towards another language doesn't make that person a bad person. It makes you not understanding of what they're saying. Your fear in that situation is not of the person. It's that you don't understand what they're saying. So you're scared of that. You're scared that you don't understand. That's, that's an, in, that's a, that's an internal process that often gets shown externally. I would challenge anyone in that situation to go read the loom of language. Again, the loom of language is a fantastic book, really breaks down the structures of languages from the Teutonics to the, um, symbolic, all the different language structures that we've created as humanity and gives you reference points so that even if you hear a different language, you can sort of kind of understand what's going on. It even gives you a little bit of insight into looking at a speaker. And, you know, if you watch public speakers from different languages, you can see the way in which they're speaking. And that gives you an inference of Oh, I think they're okay. I, I think they're talking about this or trying to make this point. Just it's it's those other little cues in language that give us understanding. And from there, I talked about relationships and emotions, and and then all of that coalesced into the reality episode, which was episode seven. And I I talked about how all of those things, education, belief, language, relationships, emotions, build our reality. And that was the foundation for the idea that there are all of these different things in the world that create our understandings, create our realities. And they're so complicated and so complex. And from there, we get this idea of depression that is uniquely who you are and how you see the world that builds the reality in which you live in. And how we can challenge that reality with better understandings. And again, back to the connotation situation of eliminating connotation and allowing us to share realities with each other. It's very easy for people in terrible situations to come together as community. Because their realities line up because they were forced to do so. It's very hard for people whose situations are completely different to build a connected reality because they feel disconnected. And often the media and the governments and even, you know, technology companies or pharmaceutical companies or even just countries want us to feel disconnected because then our realities get shifted. It's no, it's no far leap to say that Marketing in today's day and age is all about psychology. And the things we've learned about psychology are double-edged swords. We've learned a lot about how the human brain works and how the psyche works. We haven't learned everything, though. And even beyond that, we've taught very little of it. This is the realm of self-awareness and being in control of one's own self so that these things can't manipulate you, that you can't be manipulated. That's really what I was getting into in the reality episode and that whole culmination was once we can understand and start to define our own reality, we can see what's, what's affecting it and what's forcing against it. We can see those little wars that are be fought, being fought because we are in a constant state of war marketing companies, all of these different things are using the psychology that 
we have studied for years now against us because they know we don't understand. We don't have the time nor the faculties to sit down and read psychological evaluations and understand all the different, different things from Kant to, you know, Darwin to, um, I'm lacking all the names, but all, um, I'll think of one, but all of those different psychological viewpoints that have been provided to that community, the psycho, this community of psychologists and psychiatrists and that idea of a community that gets all the leading information that doesn't really make its way to the public. And I get, yeah, it's complicated, but that complication is what allows them to turn into a weapon. And in modern society, information is a weapon. So the more, not even in modern society, in all of history, the weaponization of information has been from the beginning. Information is the most powerful tool of warfare. It's what allows people to make informed decisions. It's what allows people to get ahead of their enemies. It's, it's what allows people to coerce others. It's what allows people, it's what allows Pepsi to make you drink Pepsi instead of Coke. It's what Coke, it's what Coke uses to get you to drink Coke instead of Pepsi. That's, that is marketing. That is psychology. That is an information war. So from that standpoint, it's important to understand how realities are built and how ours are affected. I went on from there to talk about choice and change and how that creates perspective and how choice begets change. And I got into some metaphysics and some other things, but it led up to this idea that the choices and change, they go together. So we can all choose to eliminate the connotation of things so that we can have better discussions, which will allow for greater change. It'll allow for a positive direction of change. We can, we can kind of, in our own way, curve the direction in which the change is going to go by making correlated choices. Choice begets change. So if we want things to change personally or societally, even up to the country level, through politics, we can make the choices that get us there. And these things are not fast. They're, they take time. It needs to be a correlation of choice. And it can't be the teeter-totter effect. It can't be one choice in this direction, the other choice in this direction. That is the whole two steps forward, one step back, except it's two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, two steps back. One step to the side. One, it, doesn't, it doesn't create any lasting change because it's doing and undoing. And that's, that's not how you get direction. So that led into perspective and the perspective led into the mysteries. And the mysteries are hidden ideas, hidden pieces of information that, again, going back to the warfare scenario, it's all of this information that people don't want you to have because they think you would do terrible things with it or you wouldn't understand or they can use it against you. It's a bunch of fearful people at the top trying to rule the masses and they're scared of us. They're scared of the little people because they don't understand how to be a part of that. 
All they understand is I want to be better. I'm better than they are. And I should be shown that. That's what they believe. Because they're children. They don't understand other people. It's really odd to me that some of the most powerful people in the world are the people who know nothing about others. They're just the most selfish because their entire lives were take, 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 and never give, give, give. Instead, if they could have found out, and I'm not advocating for either side. I'm advocating for the middle ground, always. Give and take. The person who gives all the time gets taken advantage of, and they live a miserable life. The person that takes all the time ends up running a country and doesn't give a shit about the person below them. So it has to be give and take. That's the whole idea of public service. But we've turned that into a shit show. So our, our choices, they never bring on change because this is what we constantly do to each other, ourselves. And that's why I advocate for better self-awareness. Because self-awareness leads us to a better understanding of the people around us and where we fit in or don't fit in. It's totally okay not to. But you need to be aware of that so that you can simply say to someone like, hey, man, that's not my thing. And then on the same side of that coin, remember, duality is triality. On the same side of that coin, the other person goes, oh, it's cool, it's not your thing, no big deal. We don't have a war over it. There's not an argument. It's just, I'm not into that, man. Not my thing. Okay, cool. (laughs) Live and let live, right? Like, isn't that kind of what they talk about when they say those things? So we talked about the mystery schools. We talked about systems. And when I talked about systems, I talked about how systems work inside of systems. And some systems work for some people and some systems don't. You got to find the systems that work best for you. And that's what the mystery schools are based on. The mystery schools are based on systems that only work for certain people. And that's the whole point. Even inside of the secret societies, it's a system that's only supposed to work on certain people, subservient people who are willing to believe that they are lesser than the top. So the top can control them and then coerce them and corrupt them and shape them into what they want the top to be. That's, that's what secret societies do. That's what fraternities do. That's what colleges do. And in some cases, that's a good thing. In other cases, it's not. Again, eliminate the connotation. I don't know which is which for some of these situations. I have personally experienced Masonic lodges where we're all little peons. But like, they were nice guys. They were good peons. Buy you a drink, you know, make sure you're doing okay, help you move. Generally be good friends types of people, you know, I'll offer to have you over for the barbecue, you know, oh, you don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving. Come on over to my house. Even though you barely know this person, like very generous, nice people gave the charity, did charity work. But one step above that, you had a-holes who thought, you know, like, hey, do you know who I am? Worship me. I'm better than you because I'm higher up the ladder in the organization. And then you could see the pyramid scheme. You could, you could watch it. You could see it. It exists. 
I was never going to make my way up that because I would just would have been like, fuck you guys. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. Ultimately, that was my decision. I just left because that wasn't what I was there for. They're for knowledge and they were hiding that even, or they just didn't have it. I find a lot of secret societies don't know shit because they lost the information or they corrupted it into something else. And even inside of that, the secret societies compartmentalize information so that you have to go up that ladder to get it. They're hiding it from you. That was the entire priesthood of the Egyptian culture. That's where the secret societies first initiate. Like that was the idea of initiation, which I later talked about in episode 25. So that's what I talked about with systems. And then I had truth and identity. You know, what's your truth? What is truth? Those types of questions. And how, when we understand those types of things, we get to what's our identity? Who are we? What do we stand for? Morals and ethics. And what are the questions we can ask ourselves to better define ourselves? Because that's a part of self-awareness. It's also a huge part of mental health is being able to have the conversation, not only with yourself, but others about what's wrong or what's not quite right. Or, you know, I took some of that from my almost 10 years now of practicing massage therapy. It's really hard for someone to tell you what's wrong because they might not know. They might not have the vocabulary. They might not understand the vernacular. They, they might not quite know how to tell you, hey, I'm having a range of motion, ROM issue, in my right middle deltoid um, when I do lateral motion. They might not know how to say that in the medical term speak that I'm going to use when I'm working on the shoulder. They might just be like, dude, my shoulder hurts. That's me, what they come in with. And then as the practitioner, I need to give them the, the almost initiation or questions to lead to, hey, my, my shoulder hurts when I move it this way. Okay, that's a lateral motion. Where does it hurt? Okay, what kind of pain does it feel? Is it sharp, stabby, dull, achy? Does it only happen when you do this? Does it, what happens when you add pressure? All of these different things, that that's what you pay a practitioner for because that's what they study. I study the human body to figure those things out. I also study kinesiology. I also study all of these different things that, no, I don't have a degree in, but I had to learn sports medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. All of these things I had to learn throughout my career because they either made me a better therapist or it gave me a better understanding about how the human body works, like the fascial system. There's a whole mess of hours you can spend learning about the fascial system and how that's a huge part of correcting someone's quote unquote issues, muscular or skeletal. And in some cases, neurological. So that question of identity is not just an internal question. It's an, an external question as well. It allows us to better communicate to others so that again, we can maybe get to that conversation point of getting rid of the connotation and just being like, it's not my thing. And then when someone goes, well, what is your thing? You get to answer the question and they'd be like, oh, that's cool. Like, well, tell me about that. Or, you know, but instead modern society is more along the lines of like, oh, it's not your thing. Fuck you. It's my thing. My thing's cooler than you. I'm better than you. So we were trained as, as little kids to think and believe and do. The, the hazing and the, the razzing and like, I get it. You want to make fun of your friends, but 
hey, do you really believe these things? Like, what's your true identity? Because if your true identity is based on trying to be better than others and downing them for what they like, that's a false identity. It's a falsehood. You live in a you live in a false reality. Because you don't want to understand yourself and you don't want to be comfortable with who you are. So you got to make fun of other people. Just like the people running countries don't know how to interact with people. The people usually making fun of people the most are the people who know nothing about themselves. There's no self-awareness. There's no self-importance other than the egotistical idea that I'm just somehow better than you. When in reality, no one's better than anyone. You may be better at someone than something. Maybe that's your skill or your trade or, you know, just an inherent ability you have. That's fine. Celebrate that. That's great. But does it really make you better than someone? No, not really. Better at, not better than. Vocabulary, people, ask better questions. And that's what the identity episode was about. And then I went into the depression episode, episode 15, which is probably one of the most important episodes. And I talked about, again, repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. Depression is so uniquely who you are, no one else can understand it. They can't. They just can't understand. And that's okay. You can understand yours, though. And you can use it. It's a powerful tool when we start using self-awareness and the mental health aspect of understanding our depression. And that could be as simple as, I can't quite get a hang of this, so I need to seek professional help. Counseling, therapy, even medication. You know, I talk bad things about big pharma, but if it's a chemical imbalance, it's a chemical imbalance. And maybe medication can help you in the short term and you can figure out things and maybe you don't have to take it for the long term. Maybe it is a, a pill a week thing for the rest of your life, but that makes you feel good, makes you feel better, makes you function, makes you feel more like a human, more like a person. I'm not against that. Never said I was. Take the connotation out of everything. The answer is the answer. The balance to all answers is that there's more questions. You can't live in a world where there's more answers than questions. There must always be more questions. That's progression of life is to always have more questions because once we run out of questions and we have all the answers, that's known as perfection and the universe ends. At least for us, because there's, there's nothing good to do. That's, that's the cycle that I talked about. Um, I think in all of those episodes, actually, or it might've been in the next episode, episode 16, death and episode 17, life, and also episode 18 times death, life, and time. Those all kind of went together. And I talked about the progression in metaphysics. When we talk about the prime primordials or the prime evils and where chaos fits into all that chaos came before everything and chaos will be around after everything because chaos gives creation the building blocks to make things. But chaos is that disorder. It's the, it's all of the pieces. Chaos rules all of the pieces, everything, but it doesn't do anything really with it. It just allows it's chaos. It allows whatever to happen to happen. It's just the holder of all the building blocks, all the pieces, all the possibilities. Chaos is change. Chaos is possibility. So without it, questions, you can't have answers. Creation is answers. Creation is 
let's create something and something gets made. And then after creation, you have what's known as order. Order is the balance to chaos. Whereas chaos is all the things, order is all the pieces lining up. But creation has to happen before order happens. It makes order slightly less powerful than chaos. Because once something's completely ordered, it becomes perfect. This is the process of tur turning anthracite, coal, into a diamond. Once it's perfect, it's done. There's a final creation, the perfection of that diamond. Now, you can grade that diamond. And there's all the subjectivity to it and all the objectivity to it you want to add. That's fine. That's partially chaos. But the diamond was created from anthracite. That was creation created anthracite. Order defined anthracite into a diamond. It's the best analogy I've got for that one. But that diamond can have flaws. You know, so... It's just the idea that it order, ordered it so much that it can't go any farther, it becomes perfect. Well, what happens then? Destruction. That's what happens next. Destruction. It gets destroyed. Even if it's just the operation of order that is destroyed. So once the diamond is created and it has gotten as perfect as it can, it has the anthracite chemical bonds have been ordered as much as they possibly can, then order is destroyed because there cannot be any more order. And then we leave it up to the world of subjectivity and objectivity, which in some cases is the world of destruction. It is very easy to destroy something by looking at it subjectively. It's very easy to, to destroy something by measuring it subjectively. So after order, we get destruction. And destruction is the opposite of creation. So we keep coming back in balance. One balances the other. And that destruction gives all the pieces back to order. Order's just sitting there doing all its stuff. Destruction comes along, destroys it all, and destruction gives it all back to chaos. And chaos goes, yeah, cool. All right, new pieces. We'll just let them do whatever. And then creation comes along, picks up a bucket full of stuff, and makes something new out of it. And the circle just keeps going around. It's just a revolving circle. But chaos is the powerful primordial. It's, it's, it's what came first. It is the infinite possibility. See, we need chaos in our lives. It has to exist. Chaos has to be. I would argue metaphysically, philosophically, humanity is a child of chaos. You are sons and daughters of chaos. That, that's what we are. Because we have the ability to create, order, and destroy. Which makes us agents of chaos. We just continue the possibility of infinite possibility. Which is what chaos is. And thus we are agents of it. So I talked about that whole setup in the Death, Life, and Time episodes. And specifically in the death episode, I talked about suicide and how there's always a reason. Always. You might not agree with the reason. That's your own personal choice to make. And I also talked about in the death episode, all of the different understandings of death, how different religions deal with it. And I shouldn't say all of them, but I, I talked about how different religions and belief structures deal with death. There's a varying number out there. 
But really the most important part was to come out with the understanding or at least the beginnings of the understanding of how, what do you believe about death? Is death a finality endpoint? If you follow the structural idea, death would be the complete ordering of your life. And then it's destroyed your physical body and goes back into chaos and can become something new. It can be recreated. In fact, I had a conversation very recently about that cyclical idea and how understanding suicide is so very difficult because we can't understand that person's depression. It was their depression. It's their understanding. And their choice was to end their physical body's life. Your understanding of what happens to your consciousness after that is what's going to define how that affects you. And you might find that there are some schools of thought in which Suicide is very much frowned upon. You might find some that it's not talked about. You might find some where it's frowned upon but accepted. You might find some where it's just completely unacceptable. Everyone has a different take. Your take is going to, it's going to define how a suicide affects you, be it how close the individual was to you or not. And if we take the time to try to understand the singularity point of there was a reason, then it's a personal self-awareness and mental health case to talk about it to yourself and others. It really has nothing to do with the individual and their choice. They made a choice and you react to it. That is completely within your right to do and you should do. And the closer the individual, typically the more it affects someone. I simply advocate for the idea to understand that person had a reason. You might not agree with the reason, but they had a reason. And that reason could have been that their belief structure made them have an understanding that reincarnation was the thing for them. Even if you don't believe in it, maybe they believed in it. And by believing in it, maybe they understood that this life had just gone so wrong or just did not feel right that they wanted to skip ahead to the next one. Or maybe they felt so called to a higher purpose in the universe that their belief structure in, in reincarnation was different than yours. And that maybe they felt they were being called to be a star in another galaxy. Or maybe they were being called to be a, a newborn child to a, a couple who had tried every option they could possibly think of to conceive a child but had no luck. The truest answer I give in the death episode, and I believe also in the life and time episode, there's no answers. The answer is there's no answer. And that's why we have to look internally through self-awareness come up with our understandings. That's, that's the, that's the root cause of why self-awareness is just so troubling to us sometimes. And it can affect our mental health too. And I talked about that in life and time. I talked about how time is not linear. Time is just a, a measurement structure. And you're, you know, we technically live in a fourth dimensional world and how everything's based on light. You know, we live in a, a material world of hard light to put it one way. And then I talked about thought and humanity. And I, I 
trashed humanity for an entire episode. And I talked about how thought processes are, again, uniquely who you are. It all comes back to that idea of depression. And these conversations were far more in-depth than what I'm making them, but this is a sequitur. This is a conclusion of inference. And to infer something is to derive an inclusion, a, a conclusion from facts, facts or premises. And most of this is from premises. Most of this is my own philosophy. Tee After that, episodes 21, 22, and 23, I talked about, uh, and 24, episode 21, I talked about self and what the definition of self was. And the conclusion to that was the episode, self was the prelude to um, episodes 22, 23, and 24, which talked about what self actually is. And my definition of self in the idea of self-awareness is body, mind, and other. All of antiquity talks about, most religions talk about, just this whole world of ancients, you know, collection of metaphysics. We want to think ancient people were dumb. They weren't dumb. They knew a lot. They gave us an understanding that we have a physical body you live in. It's your physical form. And you have a mind. That's a mind body or a consciousness that controls a physical mind. So you have a mind body. And then you have another body, a spiritual body. And that can be whatever it is. That's why I call it an other. It's the other. It's whatever you define it as. It's your belief structures. But you have a physical body, a mental body, and, and a spiritual body. And that makes up self. It's the three bodies. And how the mind is the translation point between the spiritual body and the physical body. That was the conversation about what self is. So when we talk about self-awareness, we have to talk about all three pieces. We have to talk about physical body, mental body, and spiritual body and how the mind is the translation point. When I talk about duality and triality, everything that's dualistic is actually trialistic. It's actually triality. Dualistic ideas are the same sides are two sides of the same coin. Without light, there cannot, cannot be darkness without darkness. There cannot be light. They're a measurement structure of each other. And that makes up the coin. So they're just two sides of the same coin. How big, broad, or small that coin is is completely up to the subjective and objective arguments that can be made. This is 10 watts of light. This is 100 watts of light. This is lights off. This is moonlight. This is levels of light and darkness. Just, it's just a measurement structure. But it's all the same coin. It's all the same measurements. That specific idea gives us the two measurements of self the spiritual and the physical because whatever you believe spiritually is what's going to make up the physical and what you do and feel and, and understand physically makes up the spiritual. They're, they're the balance structure to each other. The translation point, the coin, as I call it, is that mental space. It's the mind. And I believe that's what consciousness does is it translates as above. So below Hermes Trismegistus, the thrice great Hermes or Thoth or whatever other, you know, person, the, you want to throw in that said that as above, so below and the consciousness, which is really the mental body is what translates between those two things. That's what gives us our understanding of the things around us. And that's where I went into when I got into the episode of initiation and that was episode 25 and then episode 26 was the unknown. But in initiation, I talked about how, 
we can get initiated into all sorts of things. But really the process of initiation is to give a better understanding or, or a, a glimpse of a different perspective. And that's often done through vocabulary, vernacular, and education. So we can initiate ourselves into all sorts of different things. And even the mystery schools initiate their people into it. Again, though, they're looking for a subset of a group. But initiation as a whole, as an idea, we have to be careful about what we get initiated into because it can really affect that translation. In fact, everything I've ever talked about in this podcast are things to be aware of because that it's the translation point. Mental health is the mind-body. Your mental health is the state of your translations. From what you see or feel with your physical body, which is made up of senses, to what you believe and understand as a spiritual practice. Or the things that we don't quite understand, metaphysics, theology, those types of things. That's why the mind space mental health is so important is because it's really the health of the translation. If the dictionary has no pages, it's not much of a dictionary. Even if the dictionary has words, but no definitions, not much of a dictionary. A thesaurus that only covers a couple words, not a great thesaurus. A reference material, like an encyclopedia that only covers one topic. It's great, but lacking depending on your use. And that's kind of one way to look at the mental states, the, the mental health. You know, do you have a good dictionary, a good thesaurus? You know, is the encyclopedia only on one topic? Can you use it to, you know, better understand other topics? And that's all about the internal and external of how you converse with the world and the world converses with you. That is your depression. That's why it's important to keep that healthy, just like it's important to keep a healthy body. It's maybe a stretch, but I got into it in episode 30 with intention and a little bit with episode 29 with Vox. I talked about how the, the combination, the translation point between spiritual and physical, your, your physical body and your spiritual body, again, is that translation point. But part of that makes up the idea that you're an omnipotent presence to your body. Your body is full of trillions of cells and bacteria and all of these things you're telling what to do every day, all day. From cut my wrist to eat a sandwich. You're in control of that, that idea. You get, to, you get to choose and tell the body to do that. So if you tell the body to harm itself, there's no difference from that and a God telling people to die for them or a country's ruler sending their people to war. You're in control of the body. You are responsible for your physical body. What you do with it is probably a translation of what's going on spiritually with you. And if there's a disconnect, you're probably having some mental health issues and that might cause you to be a bad omnipotent presence, a bad God in a sense to your physical form. You might treat it poorly. And I got into some of the different things that we can use to better understand that translation point in episodes 26, 27, and 28, when I talked about unknown, which was talking about like tarot and divination and just these other things, 
You know, what's unknown to us and how do we find it out? What are other ways we can go about it? How, do, how can we better express maybe ourselves or understand that spiritual side of us a little bit better? And I talked about content in episode 27 about how searching for happiness might not be the right answer. Searching for sadness might not be the right answer. I like to look at the middle ground. What's content? What is that? You know, you get what you need, not what you want. It's not to say you can never get what you want. It's just to say you're going to get what you need. Shelter, food, heat source, those types of things. And episode 28 was maybe an extension of that when I talked about freedom and how it's really important to define what freedom is to you, what what is defined as free. Because if you don't have freedom, you're not going to be fulfilled. That's just about every lesson in history has told us that. And in this case, in modern society, a lot of our freedoms are under attack. We're constantly at war, information war. We need to be aware of that. Which brought me into Vox, episode 29. The way in which we express ourselves, our voice. Vox is the Latin word that gives something voice, gives something a voice. So anything can have voice, can have Vox from a, you know, anything. A card can have Vox, give it a voice. What's it say to us? A painting. I think that's the understanding of art, really, is the, the artist and the person who looks at art both express Vox. And maybe it's a different understanding from the artist to the person looking, but we're experiencing. But Vox is what allows us to express the understanding thereof. It better lets us understand ourselves by expressing ourselves to ourselves. Give ourselves a voice. A lot of people have their voice taken away from them in one way or another. They lose their vox. Sometimes you got to go get it back. Self-worth is a really good description of that. Self-worth is the idea of gaining one's own or expressing one's own vox, voice. And voice isn't just, the word vox isn't just like a verbal voice or, or audible voice. It's expression. It's, it's, you know, physical cues. It's that. That's the better understanding of it. To have a voice. And that voice could be nonverbal. I'm a fairly nonverbal person in my everyday life. It's hard to miss my expression, though, when I choose to do it. I talked about prescience and those types of things when I talked about that. In the martial communities, I've gone pretty long without talking about martial arts this uh, <laughs> episode. But in the martial communities, there's this idea of prescience. That's one of the things I got into with Vox is that nonverbal, that, that you can feel someone when they're angry, you can feel someone when they're sad. Those types of things. And then in episode 30, I came to a culmination point that I didn't know I was actually going to get to. That episode, which was last episode, was entitled Intention. And when speaking about intention and defining intention and going through that episode, I really came to a point where I finally could define awareness. I had already defined self. I'd managed to do that. Self is 
the combination of the body, mind, and spirit. Or the, the physical body you live in, the spiritual body or your belief structures, and the translation point known as your mind. That's the three pieces. Health, self is three pieces. Self is the physical body, the mental body, and the spiritual body, or the other, whatever you want to call it. That's self. We have to have a, it has to be an inclusive list. Can't be one or it can't be one piece. That's not true self. Self is not just the physical form. It's also the mental body. That's why mental health and physical health need to go together. They need to be interlinked as well as the spiritual. You must be, humans just have this necessity to be fulfilled also spiritually. Even if that spirituality is the definition of no spirituality. Still a belief structure. I wish I had a better term. I say other, but really spiritual is what fits. Because spirit denotes other. Something intangible, but we still know is there. And that's as good as a belief structure. It could just be that. Dogma is the that's the that's the scary part. When that becomes when you give up your spiritual body to dogma and dogma is the organization of religion and the ever present idea that you can't question it, that your holy people tell you what it is and that's what it is. Or even in medicine nowadays, a lot of medical doctors practice dogma. And I've said before how I think one of the biggest questions going forward after 2022 is or after 2021 going into 2022 is does your medical practitioner practice medicine or do they practice dogma? And that, that same conversation can be had about a lot of different things. So I don't believe in organized religion. I just don't. I believe it breeds and creates dogma, a non-questioning order. That's not how this works. The spiritual body is, by definition, a questioning body. Because the mind must question. And the physical form is constantly questioning. What is this? What am I touching? What am I looking at? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? That's what senses are. Senses are questions. Remember going back, you can't live without questions. We must always have more questions than answers. The physical form is based on that premise and so is the mind and the spiritual body. The physical body is constantly going around all day long asking questions. What am I feeling? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I touching? What was that? What was that? What was that? That's what the physical body does. It's, it's a, a mechanism to ask questions and get answers and to just continue to ask more questions and get more answers. And then it feeds all that information to the mind and the mind has to translate. Okay, what's going on? What am I seeing? What am I? All right, all right. Okay, there's this thing called reality. Cool, it's this material world, materium. Awesome. All right. And uh, red's red, right? You agree with red. I agree with, okay, that's, we're going to call that red. We're going to call this blue. We're going to call that hard. We're going to call this soft. All of these different interfaces of these coins we deal with, the coins are the measurement structures. And how all of that information gets thrown into the mind and the mind goes, okay, well, I need to, I need to make some assumptions, but I also need to, I need some other information here. Okay. This, so the analytical mind, this, you know, we have logic and reason, morals and ethics, and all of these different equations happening constantly over and over and over again. But remember, the, we know what the universe is going to do. The universe is going to seek out balance. It does that asymmetrically. The universe is constantly seeking balance all of the time. 
I probably should have done an episode just strictly on balance, but I think I, I intermixed it with a bunch of other episodes. Specifically in the episode on uh, episode 26 in the unknown, I talked about how the universe is seeking balance, but it does it asymmetrically. The Fibonacci sequence, the golden ratio, the fact that you have one lung slightly smaller than the other to make room for your heart. All of these different things. It's constantly seeking balance, doing it asymmetrically. It's pressure and motivation. Etheric physics. But with that idea, we come back to, okay, the universe is constantly seeking balance. What's it trying to balance out? So it takes all this information that the physical body is giving, and it, it only has one part of the equation. X plus Y equals, well, it's only got X. It needs Y. That's why I don't ask Y questions. Because logic and reason in the objective reality in which we live in, the material world, they require non-Y questions because Y is subjective. And subjectivity is the world of the spiritual body. That's what gives us definition to subjectivity. It's what gives us moral compasses. It's what gives us ethics. Yes, these things might be agreed upon common social structures, but they come from an understanding of something else, something spiritual. Because that's really what will rule someone's answers when we ask why questions. For this entire series in the Taming Hindrances podcast, episodes 1 through 30, I tried to not ask why questions. Because why questions gives us why answers, gives us subjective answers. And subjectivity might not always be the best way to look at something. Sometimes you should use something more, a little bit more objective. Even if you get a subjective answer from it, the the objective question might be better. A what, a where, how. Instead of asking, why did someone do that? Or why did I do that? Ask that, what made them do that? Or what made me do that? How did that affect me? Not why did that affect me, but how did it affect me? These give us better building blocks for understanding to make better questions or better understandings better answers because why questions are spiritual by nature. Why do good people die? Why do bad people get ahead? Where's the balance to that, right? Well, those are why questions they are spiritual questions. Why do I hate myself? That's a spiritual question. But you can step it down as above, so below. When you ask yourself, why do I hate myself? When I ask myself, why do I hate myself so much? Why? What is it that makes me hate myself so much? Remember, I, again, I get it out of why questions because the other questions are what give me a better building block. Then I can come back to the why question. And I think that's where I'm coming here in this sequitur. This, this not conclusion, but conclusion of an inference. And my inference is all of these premises I've given you and given myself over the last 30 episodes. Why do I hate myself? Why do I treat myself poorly? Why have I been treating myself badly? Why have I been doing these things? Why have I been beating myself up over all of these different things? Why did I try to kill myself? Why do I push myself so hard? Why am I so hard on myself all the time? Why am I such a loner? Why do I prefer to be alone? Now I can start asking the why questions. 
Because I asked all the other questions. I asked the what's, the where's, the why, the how's, the, you know, I asked those questions. But this entire time I've been lacking in spirituality. And spirituality is the ruling body of all the why questions. Because when you have a spiritual body, when you have a spiritual life or spiritual understanding, the whys make more sense. And I don't have my definition yet. I'm still working on it. I figured out the mind, got that pretty down pat. A lot more work to do, but I feel like I gave everybody a, an understanding of my own mind and maybe a glimpse into how to look into theirs. That's mental health. That's the translation point. I got the physical body. That I understand. I'm good on that one. I might not be the healthiest person in the world, but given the situation, I'm, I'm pretty fit. But I definitely have a solid understanding. I can tell you about your body. And not just the muscles. I can tell you about the bones. I can tell you about the neurological system. I can tell you about the corpus callosum and the big, you know, how the hemispheres work, what they rule, what they do, why, you know, things come in one eye or out. You know, I can tell you how hearing kind of works. I can talk about uh, binaural beats and how you can pattern the brain waves of the structure. I can tell you about brain waves. I can tell you about those things. I can tell you about proprioception. I can talk about all of these different things talk about your digestive system. I can talk, talk about all the systems in the body. I can do that. Supplementation, how that works. I can have conversations on all these things. I have a very solid understanding of the body. But I never could ask why questions or understand why questions because there was no, I don't, I don't understand my spiritual body. People talk about higher self and people talk about their gods and their religions and these types of things. And I understand them at a mental level. I don't understand them at a spiritual level. That's something I have to work on because until I have that understanding, I can't ever answer these why questions that I have or have had for some time. So again, I'll say spiritual beliefs or your spiritual body, that third piece of yourself, that's the realm of why questions. And that's why this is a sequitur because I'm now coming to the conclusion of all these premises I started off with a good question. What is self-awareness? What is it? How does it affect mental health? Well, I figured out the mental health side, right? I figured out that we have these three health bodies. So I went with self-awareness first and I took self. What was self? What is self? What, what do we define as self? How can we define that? Because we don't really have a term yet. We just call self, self. And not a lot of the term that we, the, the understanding of self we use currently, I believe is selfish because it leaves out very important pieces. We talk about self as being me, my body, my mind, mine, 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 mine. Well, it's not your body. You're just in control of it. I mean, yeah. Okay. You have some possession of it and possession is nine tenths of the law. So, okay, sure. We'll call it your body, but it's not really yours. It's a, it's a coral reef of sorts. It's a, a bunch of cells and bacteria, as I said, that you rule over. So really, it's your kingdom. You're going to be a good ruler. You're going to be a bad ruler. You can eat cheesesteaks. Don't care. You can eat cheeseburgers. Go right ahead. If you don't do any exercise, you're going to do some harm. If you like spicy wings, well, that's mass genocide of gut bacteria on a regular basis. So you probably... Should throw some probiotics back in there and, you know, re-liven up that gut bacteria so they can do their job, keep you healthy, 
because you need them. You need gut bacteria. You need cells. You need, you don't exist without these things. Your physical body will just perish and die if you don't take care of it. So it's your responsibility. And you don't have to do the best job ever. You don't have to have six pack or eight pack. You don't have to be able to bench a house. You don't have to be able to run 17 miles. No, you just need to be healthy. And everyone's health is defined by their own body. It's called homeostasis. Homeostasis is the act of being in stasis. Homeostasis is the center line. It's why I believe in the middle road. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's not sick. There's no ailments. No ailments. That's homeostasis. There's no illness. Illness is anything outside of homeostasis. And if we do get drug in one way or the other for illness, then we bring it back to homeostasis. And homeostasis for you might be just, you know, a little chub, a little beer belly. Who cares? But like, maybe you can bench your own body weight. Maybe you can do 20 sit-ups and 20 push-ups and 20, however you want to define what, you know, a good physical form would be. That's all subjective. The objectivity would be to go get blood tests. Where are my vitamin levels out? You know, is anything funny? You know, what kind of autoimmune situation? How am I dealing with my inflammation basis? That's all the realm of doctors and tests and all that stuff. But it has to come into a conclusion for you because you're responsible for your body. That correlates to mind. Your mind is the translation place. It's the, it's the library. So if you burned all the books, not a great library. It's going to be a, a really sad, uneventful, dark place to live. No information, no way to translate, no way to understand that that autoimmune disorder that you've now developed due to maybe an inflammation issue that went unchecked is ruining your life because you don't know how to have the conversation with your doctor to get it under control. So you don't have any motivation to go to the gym and, you know, work with serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine and cortisol levels and get them to balance out so that you can feel like a person again. It's just one example. There's many more. In fact, there's what, like 70 billion more, however many people are in the world, 9 billion. I have no idea anymore. Every depression is different. Every person is unique. So their definitions and their understandings must be unique to them. That's self. It's the physical, the translation point of the mental, but it needs the spiritual so they can have definition for why questions. And so to understand mental health, I understood the first part of self-awareness and that's self. What are we dealing with? What we're dealing with in mental health, the translation from the physical form, which again, is not yours. You're just the ruling consciousness over that. So I had to look at consciousness a little bit. What is that? What is consciousness? Well, internal dialogue. And there's more to it than that. But I'll leave it briefly as just consciousness. Consciousness is the control over that physical form. It's the rule. You are the ruler of the kingdom. That kingdom does what you tell it to do. You are the God of your body. And when we take away the me and mine, we check the ego. Can't eliminate the ego. The most egotistical thing you can do is try to eliminate the ego. That's Alan Watts. He said that. But you can check the ego. and You can keep it in check. And that's an important part to mental health and consciousness is to, is to check that ego. 
So you understand that, no, you are in control and responsible for this body. And what you do with it will be defined through that mental space, that mental body. That is mental health. Mental health is, what's the library look like? You know, what's, what's that space? People talk about the mind space, the mental space all the time. That's what it, what does it look like? Is it cluttered? Is there trash everywhere? You know, what does it look like? That's mental health. And that's ruled by depression because depression is the way you're going to see the world. I've, I've talked about how just your education alone, the language you surround yourself with is going to define that for you. So you got to look at all these things. That's the awareness side. Mental health is what or how the translations are happening in the mental space between the physical form and all of its questions. What's this? What's that? What am I touching? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What's going on? Body has tons of questions. We're in charge of it. We're supposed to make the, we're supposed to come up with answers for it. Like, oh, that's a volleyball. Cool. Got that. Oh, that's a YouTube video. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, that's a song I really like. Oh, okay. Like your mind's the one doing all that translation to give it the body the answers. Sometimes we give it answers that are fearful because we don't understand. And that gets into the realm of clinical psychology, which I stay out of. Just trying to define self-awareness and mental health here. So we can have a better basis to look at it and do things with it. So self is the physical form, the mental form, and the spiritual form. Mental health is the, the translation point, is the mental body, the mental form. Awareness is the last piece. And I defined that last episode in episode 30, intention. Intention was the piece I hadn't figured out yet. I had an understanding of it. I tried many different ways to put it to myself or get it across to others. And then it dawned on me. Intention is linked to awareness. In fact, my definition for it is awareness is the attention to intention. Again, awareness is attention to intention. And intentions are probably the driving motivating factor for most translations or the conclusion of the sequitur, if you will, of most translations from the mental body, from the spiritual body, or up, down, sideways, whatever way you want to go with it. And intentions, as defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary, are what one intends to do or bring about. A determination to act in a certain way, known as your resolve. To take it to the spiritual side of things, the object for which a prayer, mass, or pious act is offered. That's an intention. 
intentions are what give everything definition as far as what is the physical form doing? Because the mental body told it to do that. So if my physical form is told to hit you in the face, my intentions from my mental body was to hit you in the face. Maybe I don't like you. Bit of a pacifist. That's probably not going to happen. But even in that, if there's yelling involved, then the intention might be, oh, this person doesn't like me. Oh, there's anger here. In the same vein, the intentions of someone who wants to do you harm will show in their actions. Actions speak louder than words. But words are pretty loud too. So if you watch someone say one thing and do another, you can see their intentions. And this is what brought me to awareness is attention to intention. So when we apply it in full back to mental health, we have some questions that need answering. When it comes to self-awareness, when being applied to mental health, we have self-awareness. Self, the physical, mental, and spiritual bodies. And the understanding of the interplay thereof, where the mind is the translation point between the spiritual and the physical. The spiritual body being the representation of the answers of the why questions. And the physical body being the representation of all the others. All the other questions. Constantly seeking answers. So the, the physical body is constantly questioning. The mental body is constantly providing answers. And it's getting all the answers to the why questions from the spiritual body. That is self. Awareness is attention to intentions. So the questions that must be asked to understand the awareness of mental health are, what are your intentions for yourself? and What are your intentions towards yourself? Because if they don't line up, you got a lot more digging to do, a lot more questions to ask. And that's my sequitur. That is my piece de resistance. That is my life's work at this point is to have that conversation. Mental health and self-awareness. Well, what is self-awareness, Phil? In my personal definition, self is the mental, physical, and spiritual bodies. Awareness is the attention to the intentions of all three to, towards each other. And mental health is the definition of the interplay between those things. My sequitur of all of it is to say, my conclusion to the premises I've put forward, or the premise in this case, is that a poor understanding of the physical body leads to mental health issues. A poor understanding of the spiritual body leads to mental health issues. A poor understanding of the mental body leads to mental health issues. And we can better understand our mental health by coming at it from a point of view or a perspective of the fact that everyone's depression is uniquely who they are and how they represent themselves, how they interact, see, and work with the world because depression is the mental body. And everyone is uniquely their own. 
and any representation outside of that is not individual, not an individual representation. So that the world of mental health is the understanding or self-awareness of one's own depression and how to use it, how to ask questions, how to better define it, better understand it, use it, be in control of it. Because you're already in control of a whole physical form. You do that every day. Not even thinking about it, really. Walk here, eat that, do this, watch this, touch that. On and on and on and on and on. So why wouldn't the same be said about the mental side, the depression, your depression? Same thing, you're in full control of it. Just like you're in control of that physical form. You're also in control of your spiritual body. We just might not understand it. That's awareness. Are you aware of your spiritual form? Are you aware of your mental health? Are you aware of your physical body? And again, awareness is attention to intentions. That's my premises. That's my sequitur. That's my conclusion. One more time, just for the hell of it. I define self as the mental, physical, and spiritual body. Awareness is the attention of the interplays or intentions between all of those bodies. Depression is the state of the mental body and how it translates for the two, both physical and spiritual. And our mental health is the interactions between all of those things. Our mental health is the interaction of our depression and our physical body and our depression and our spiritual body and how the spiritual and physical interact with each other through that depression, through that understanding. Your depression is your understanding of the world in which you live and interact in. It both includes your physical health and your spiritual health. And if we're not aware of that, we don't have self-awareness, then we have a, a poor chance of understanding anything. So can we gain greater self-awareness? Absolutely, by asking simple questions. Self-awareness. Attention to the intentions of ourself. What are your intentions for yourself and what are your intentions towards yourself? That's all self-awareness is. That's simple. Those two questions. What are your intentions towards yourself and what are your intentions for yourself? Two simple questions that aren't very simple because everything should be complex and simple at the same time. That creates balance because the universe is constantly seeking that asymmetrically, which you might find the weight of those questions may be asymmetric by definition. But that is self-awareness. In my personal opinion, my sequitur, my conclusion of my premises is that self-awareness is attention to intentions towards yourself. Yourself being the three health bodies and mental health is the conversation of what that homeostasis looks like. Because we have homeostasis in the physical body. Talk about that all the time, illness, disease, we talk about that constantly in the, in the medical world. 
What's the homeostasis of your mental health? What's the mid-ground? What's the okay? What's the content? Because we constantly have to come, what's the balance? Where's that at? That's homeostasis. You have to define homeostasis for yourself. And to do that, you need self-awareness. They have to go together. That's my, that's my premise. That's my sequitur. That's my conclusion to my premises. I hope this has helped in some way. Um, I don't know if I really have much more to say at this point. So if this is the last episode, I want to thank you for listening. I do truly appreciate it. And I really do hope I helped. My entire point here is just to make people think, to look at it from a different perspective or to help in some way. But ultimately... It's all about you. It's not about me. It's never really been about me. This has been cathartic for myself. That's why I did it. Coming back to the why questions. Spiritual by nature for me. This was like a lifting of weights. that had no physical form. And I think Maybe that's all this was supposed to be, even if no one ever listens to it. At least it was that for me. If you did listen to it, I would hope in some small way that was the point. The point was for you to do something for yourself, just as this entire podcast has been for me to finally do something for myself. So that in some odd way, our selfishness could balance each other's out. That you also did something for yourself, just as I did something for myself. That would be asymmetrical balance. That would be a a correct law of the universe, a correct use of it. And that I gave you an understanding of self-awareness to better understand your mental health, to better use your depression, to better interact with the world, however you see fit to do that. And I wish you great luck and fortune with that. Not to be a millionaire or billionaire or to be the most famous person in the world or be the best at whatever it is you do. Go do those things for yourself, not for me. What I wish you greatness and fortune in is understanding your homeostasis, understanding your content, your middle ground. Because honestly, rock bottom is the strongest ground you can stand on. It's rock bottom. But that little bed you build on the bedrock that you get to sleep in every night, that's pretty comfy. Not a lot of people can take that away from you. It's a good place to come back to. Safe, sound. It's homeostasis. It's comfortable. No, it's not jubilation. And no, it's not horrible sadness. It's the middle ground. So I wish you greatness and good fortune in finding that, finding your middle ground, finding your homeostasis, and then applying everything I've talked about to that, to better understand yourself and to build a new bed or a new place to hang out in, whatever analogy you want to add to at this point. I think my, my mind has finally come to a conclusive nature. 
So I leave the, the rest up to you. I've done my selfish piece. And I, I leave the rest up to you to do whatever you're going to do with it. And as the outro says, just remember to breathe. Because that's homeostasis for the body is breathing. It's a requirement for life. I'll leave you with that. Just remember to breathe. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.